Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning. If you're gone on spring break, welcome back. We've been um, studying the book of the books of Thessalonians. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, that's where we are. That's uh, going to be towards the end of your Bible, and there'll be two books, one and two, and they're so similar and have overlapping uh, topics that we're studying them together. In the last few weeks, and certainly last week and this week, we're looking at uh, the concept of, of team dynamics and uh, applying that to the church culture. So it's church team culture sort of thing. Now, I've chosen that because a team has a vision or a purpose, and then they have to work together to get that, te- that vision or purpose accomplished. And we, we could use a military reference. That would work. Um, business references would work as well. Uh, most of us have some kind of experience with uh, being on an athletic experience, and so I thought team would work for us. And so we're looking at how we can work together as a team, as a church. A team church culture is imperative. If you've played on a team or your kids have, you've probably had to sign some kind of a team covenant. It's more popular than ever before. And you might have noticed that it had nothing to do with that sport. As a matter of fact, some of them are quite generic. They could apply to any sport. And because they're having to do with culture outside of you know, the, kind of the actual playing of the game. It has to do with how to treat the coaches and the, and the captains, you know, how to respect the people that are in charge, and then how to treat each other, how to be polite and how to be nice and, and mutually respecting each other. And that makes for an effective team. You cannot win without having an effective team. I think, at least in my opinion anyway, one of the premier coaches that appreciates team culture is the coach for the Duke basketball team. His name is, well, his, I don't know what his name is. They call him Coach K. If you look at his real name, you'll see why they call him Coach K. But, I mean, he's won four NCAA national championships. He is the head coach of the basketball team when, uh, when at the Olympics. So he has, he has four gold medals as well, and he has won more basketball games than any coach in the history of the NCAA. He has won over 980 basketball games. If you go to the Duke uh, um, website, you'll see he has a little biography. It's 14 pages long. There's, there's a lot to be said about him. He's been there for quite some time. But his, his culture is called a connecting culture. Uh, an article is recently uh, written, and it, it says he coaches like a girl. These are his values, that all members of the team share identity, empathy, and understanding. Does that sound like a basketball team to you? Identity, empathy, and understanding. Coach K says, I have to take each one of these guys and I have to take them from being absolutely self-centered to team-centered. And no one quite does it like Coach K. And that's why he is so successful at what he does. Well, what's true for something like basketball is certainly true for the church as well. We can learn some things from that because we're bigger than that. We don't hope to or aspire to win a national championship or even a gold medal. Uh, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. And our commission is to make disciples of all nations and to teach them to obey all that God's commanded. We're the means by which the world has the potential of being redeemed. We're the, I guess, the the avenue by which God brings his mercy and his truth and and his justice to the world. We have available to us the revelation of God. And just these two books, we've seen that it's, it's pretty encompassing, right? It's life and death and relationships and work, uh, justice, ultimate justice. All of that is available to us just in these two books, but the whole book itself, uh, we have the answer key. 
And, and we have a purpose and a goal. And Jesus died and rose again so that we might have oneness with him and oneness with each other. So we have, we have a goal, and we have to work together to, to make this goal something of reality and also to experience life as it's meant to be. So this is talking about a church culture, a team church culture. And last week we looked at uh, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, I think. Yes, 12 and 13, and he started with the leadership, and he said, this is how you acknowledge the coaches and the captains. They're the ones that are doing the work. You shouldn't be surprised when one of these people is, is uh, made a, a team captain. But then he says, besides just acknowledging them, you should honor them in love, and that is to respect them and, and to follow them. And then finally, he just says the third thing that we learned last week is just to be at peace, as much as it's up to you anyway, to be at peace with your teammates. Now, those were, those were very polite suggestions that Paul made. As we look at verses 14 and 15 today, I want you to see, first of all, that he says, I urge you. No, he says, we urge you. So he's telling us. That was a very pleasant way to say, I command you. Now, besides that, you'll see that in the first few uh, words. But uh, when we look at 14 and 15 together, I want you to listen to how not all the teammates are created equal. Or they're not, it's not, that's not true. All, not all the teammates are in the same place in life. And so we're supposed to treat the different types of teammates in different ways. And, and, and kind of another way of looking at it, there's different teammates with different problems, and we want to make sure that we get the right prescription to the right person. And here's why that's so important. Because uh, for their sake, right, if, if you want to solve this problem, you must give them this solution. If you give them the wrong solution, it doesn't solve their problem. So he's, he's, we're going to mate those two together. Here's the problem, here's the solution. And here's why it's important for you if you're the caregiver. Because earlier we saw that we're you know, not to grow weary in doing good. I think a lot of times we grow weary in doing good because we keep giving out the wrong prescriptions. And it's wearing us down because it's not working. So this, this is important for everybody involved. So when we read this together, I want, you, I want us to all be looking for the three types of people and three types of answers to those problems for their sake and for our sake. And I want us to see how we can, we can um, better do this. Now, I would, you know, I would love for you to consider memorizing at least verse 14 because it helps in so much of life. It'll help you in parenting. It'll help you at work. It'll help you in the church. It'll help you in most relationships. Our executive pastor, Ray Anderson, reads this to the staff and to the elder board at least three times a year because we're thinking about team and how to help people. And Ray says, okay, here are the three types of people. Oh, wrong prescription to the wrong people. That's why we're growing weary in doing good. There's a test today. And so we're going to memorize at least those three things and three solutions uh, towards the end of our time together. So let's be thinking in that context, okay? So here we are. We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> it starts off with an urge. I, we are, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage those that are timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Pretty simple sets of uh, passage, but one of the problems is the words are, are, just, are just simple and frank, but we might not know what they mean. And so one of the things I'd like to do today is, is show you how I study this passage because it's an easy way for you to study the Bible as well. What I did for, to understand kind of the meanings of those three types of people and what the prescriptions were more illustratively, what I did is I just pulled up on my computer screen 
five different translations. It's easy to do these days when you can go to you know, Bible websites and you can just pull them up and you'll see how these uh, scholars, the translators of the, Bi- the various translations are Bible scholars, and they went from the original language and they tried to make, you know, use synonyms from the original words to make uh, better sense of these words. So that's all I did. I'm going to show you what that looks like and how it can help you better understand the passage. All right? Three types of people. Type one, it says, Warn the idol. Warn the idol. Now, the idol there in that word is uh, used exclusively in the Thessalonian letters. Very interesting. Paul doesn't use this word any other time. And the word means to, um, the New American Standard will say it means unruly. And, and it's used a lot in the next Thessalonian book. And it's talking about somebody that's just idle not doing what they're supposed to be doing, not getting on board with what God called them to. Look on the screen, you'll see in 2 Thessalonians. We looked at this uh, previously, so I won't elaborate. But verse 6 says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's kind of upset because they didn't deal with the idol, okay? We command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle or unruly and does not live according to the teachings that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle. We were not unruly when we were with you. So there it is. Idle, being unruly, the words mean, another, another translation's freeloader, undisciplined, lazy. It's when you're talking to someone and you're trying to help them out and you continually try to support them and care for them and help them, and then some, somewhere along the line you realize they don't want to get well. They don't want to get better. And they just want to receive all sorts of things from people, but they don't want to be part of the solution. It's a military term, this, this word unruly or idle, and the idea is that you have a specific job to do to watch your post, and you're not watching your post. You're supposed to be getting on board with what God has for you, what has God had for you, that you would be conformed to his image, and you'd be part of that process. And so the idle and the unruly are people that say, hey, that, okay, I see what you're having trouble with. Would you, why don't you try reading this book? They don't read the book. Oh, I get it. You know, books scare me too. Okay, why don't, there's a video series you can watch. Yeah, can't do that either. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you just, you just want to talk about this a lot. That's what. At the expense, by the way, of your friends and of your family and and everybody around you because you just want to fill up people's schedules. And Paul says this. He says, warn them. Now, the word also warn in other translations is admonish, threaten, exhort, confront, bring them into account have a face conversation that brings them to the truth of issues. And the issue is that they don't want to get better. They just want free stuff. The message, is, which is a really loose translation that's fun to read, uh, translates this verse like this, this part of the verse. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. <laughs> All right? Do your job, you know? Do what God called you to do. You have to do the work part of this, being conformed to the image of Christ. A great team movie on the idea of team culture is the movie Remember the Titans. 
Because team culture is absolutely essential in that movie. If you remember it, it's a, it's a racially diverse team, and it is a powder keg of problems if things don't work well. And the coach there is, it's a true story, the coach does a fabulous job of doing something we try to do here, and that is that you're the ministers. And so he lets the captains do the disciplining. And in this situation, there's a player on the team, his name is Ray, and he is idle. He is unruly because he will not block for the, def- for the back, for, his, for the, um, one of the, back, the running backs. He won't block for him, and the, and the reason he won't block for him is because he's black. That's it. Not, and he's not doing his job, doesn't care if they win or lose, just because of racial issues. And so his best friend now has to apply this passage. I think you'll find it interesting how they apply this passage quite, uh, well, literally. Let's watch the video. It's only 90 seconds. Coach, can I speak with you in private? Sure. What's on your mind, son? I want Ray off the team, Coach. You know my policy, Gary. Yes, I do. And I respect it, but I know that Ray missed that block on purpose. Sometimes you just got to cut a man loose. Well, you're the captain. You make a decision. But you support your decision. Ray? You're out. What? I'm not going to let you play for this team anymore. Oh, yeah, Jerry Lewis? Gonna go and tell Coach Kuhn what to do just like last time? But then that's right. He is your daddy now, isn't he? Kuhn don't cut anybody. Remember, Gary? I had you cut, Ray. You willing to just throw away our friendship for them? You can keep them. He tried. He tried all he could, and then he had the confrontation. And he wasn't the coach, right? He was his player. He was a captain. He was a volunteer. He was a minister. wasn't the pastor. He was just one of the ministers and realized, you know what? I have to confront this idol, this idleness. I saw a coach's quote this week that said, um, you, can't, um, you cannot hang out with negative people and expect to live a positive life cannot hang around negative people and expect to have a positive life. And there's a time where you realize, you know what, you're this person, this person that's idle. They just want to talk this thing to death. They want you to pray it to death. But whenever it comes back to them, they don't want to have to do anything about that. And Paul says, stop hugging. That's not, that's not the solution here. You will wear yourself out. You will grow weary in doing good if you keep giving this person compassion. What they need is a hard confrontation with truth. That's type of person one. Now, the next type of person is a person that does need some compassion, and that's in the next part of the verse. It says, encourage the timid. Encourage the timid. Now, let's look at these words, okay? The timid is, can be translated. If you go to multiple translations, it'll say uh, faint-hearted, discouraged, uh, a straggler, a person that's overly worried, deeply discouraged. We use words like despondent or blue. It's, it's, a, a, it's a person that's just getting worn down by life. And what I love about Paul's advice here is he says you should encourage them. 
This is not what the word means, but if you break it apart, it, it encourage. You inject courage into that person's life. If, if you are timid, if, if you're this type of person that's faint-hearted, Paul's advice to you would be you need to find someone that can strengthen you. You need to find someone that can encourage you, that can help you, support you, that can keep you running along the journey that God has for you. If you are a person that is giving encouragement, let me say this. Uh, it might be just to me, but encouragement quite often is just the presence of being there. If a person is timid or they're faint-hearted, sometimes they just need to know that they're not alone, so be there. Sometimes they just need to know that they're understood, so listen to them. I ran across a wonderful story from a book called Blessed is the Ordinary Life. Love the title. Blessed is the Ordinary Life. And he tells a story, a sweet memory that he has when he was seven years old and he was growing up. And it was his seventh Christmas, and the ones at least he could remember. Every Christmas, his mom would make a special dessert. It was jello. <laughs> they were not uh, well to do. And they had, they had jello on Christmas, uh, with, sometimes with bananas in them. And this Christmas, his mom kind of went overboard and made uh, this beautiful mountainous meringue pie. And she was so excited about, about this very special Christmas, and she was, you know, especially delicate with the meringue pie and didn't overcook it, didn't undercook it. It made it just majestic and brought it out and was putting it on the table, and it slipped out of her hands and splattered across the floor. And the writer says, I had never seen my mother cry until that day. And that was the day I saw her cry for the first time on Christmas Day. Who cries on Christmas Day? She got on her knees and pulled her apron up to her face and just wept. And he was mad. He was mad at the universe because his mom was crying on Christmas Day. And then he start, stopped to realize, you know, what was this all about, this meringue pie? She just wanted to show everyone in that household that they were very special to her. And he said, but she gave so much more than that pie that day. She gave her tears. He said, 60 Christmases have come and gone. Most are forgotten, but this one I can't do anything but remember vividly. The day my mom gave us that very special gift, the gift of tears. Sometimes encouragement for the timid is that some people just need to know that they're not alone and you just need to be there. Many people just need to know that they're understood and so you just need to listen to hear what's happening. If that brings you to tears, that will be a very special gift to them. So there's the unruly, and then there's the timid, and then finally this third group is called help the weak. Help the weak. Sounds a little bit like the hospital, right? We have unruly, and we have timid, and now we have weak. Certainly, I mean, I don't think a church is supposed to be a hospital exclusively, but one of the wings of the building should be a hospital. There's a lot of sick people that come to church, and we need to be able to help them by giving them the right things. The word here for, for um, the weak, just, I mean, every translation I looked at, they all said help the weak. They were simple words, and you know what they mean. And what, what I found would be difficult maybe to distinguish is uh, between the timid and the weak. And, and let, me, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, you know, there's some people in life that haven't suffered or haven't suffered enough, and you, you just know because of the things they care about or they don't care about. On the other hand, there's other people that have suffered maybe too much. That's what he's talking about. 
He's talking about the weak that may have suffered too much. And, and just to use a metaphor a bit of like running a marathon together, let's just say we all took a class on Saturday mornings and we were all going to run the Austin Marathon together. And I'm trying to distinguish between the timid and the weak for you, okay? And I'm trying to, it's because they have two different prescriptions, right? I would say the timid, the faint-hearted, is the person that in the marathon is growing tired and just getting really, <laughs> coming to realize it is 26-plus miles. And they're falling behind, and so you double back around, and, you, and, and, and they're running slowly, and you're just running with them. And you're just trying to keep them from, to, from thinking about the pain that they're in and, and the choice that they're having to make for every step, Right? And you're, you're, real, you're trying to get them to think about the, the, the victory line. If you could just get them over the crest of this next hill, then they'll see the tape, and they'll be just fine on their own, and then you can let them go. That's what it means to be timid or faint-hearted. You're running alongside of them. You're trying to encourage them as they run. This week is different than that. The week is the person that's running the marathon with you, and they have fallen down in the dirt. They are laying in the mud. They're not going anywhere. And on the other side of this suffering, there will be a brilliance in life that they will be able to see and enjoy and appreciate, but they will not get past this without help. You can't get on the other side of this week without someone picking you up and carrying you. This is a blown-out ankle or knee. You're not gonna, you are not going to finish this. And so if you look in the Bible, you'll see, you'll be very hard-pressed to find any man or woman standing alone. You see people running in pairs, at least. And so you see Jonathan having his good friend and best friend, uh, did I say Jonathan? David. David, King David has his best friend, Jonathan. And Elijah has his little, his little Padawan, Elijah, to lift him up. You have Paul, and he has Barnabas. And so you just see these people that are always having someone there because they grow weak. Everyone will have a moment of weakness. And the word help here is a beautiful word because it means to cling. It means to grab hold of. It means not to let go. So there's, there's, there's a lesson for us that every, I think, if you're blessed, everyone will be weak because there is a brilliance of life that comes to the other side of that if you do that well. And, and, and you might feel like, you know, you're always in the front. You're always leading. You're always out there. But there'll be a day. And I would say this. If, if, you, if for no other reason than selfish reasons, I would pray that you find yourself a David or a Jonathan because the next turn might have a twisted ankle for you. You might be the one in the mud. You have to connect with people so that you can have someone to carry you if that day comes, when that day comes. And there's some people that have a long-term weakness, and, and it's, it's because they have an addiction or a habit that is, that is stronger than their own will. It's not stronger than God, but it's stronger than their will. And this is a lifetime that only death can separate them from, and many of these people, they long for that day. They long for the day of redemption when their body is no longer in control of their soul, and that type of person has to be very committed. First of all, to get in the room, you have to be very humble. You have to admit that. You have to admit that there's something bigger than your will. And what happens is some of these people, they come together and they say, that's my story, and I'm just looking for somebody else that could be that scared and maybe outspoken about their uh, weakness. And they get together and they find each other, and, and, they be, and they become lifetime partners in life. 
Not trying to get each other through life, but just trying to get each other through the next day, right? Just one more night. Just one more night we can do this. And they just spend their lives together encouraging one another in their moments of timidity and helping each other in moments of weakness. Back and forth, right? They're the givers and the receivers of this. And that's where ministries like that we have here called Celebrate Recovery. That's a group of people that meet on Thursday nights. I'd encourage you, if you've realized that in your life, if you've come to the point of humility where you've realized that, you would be blessed to consider going to that. You can go to our website and learn more about Celebrate Recovery. It meets on, on Thursday nights. It's a group of people. Um, they see brilliance because humility clears the skies and pride just makes it cl- cloudy. But here's the other thing. Here's what you get uh, with, that, uh, with that illness. With that weakness, you get to get connected to another human being like you wouldn't be connected to any other soul, maybe even your mate. It is what friendships are meant to be if people are scared and, and needy in a, in, a, in a kind of a holistic way. It is the fullness of friendship. That's what you get with that. When you realize you're weak and you want help and you want to be a helper. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's why you need to get connected. Now, here's the memory part. Three people, three solutions, okay? Let me just review. You confront the unruly. You encourage the timid, you help the weak. I'll say it one more time, you'll say it the third time. You'll confront the unruly, you'll encourage the timid, you'll help the weak. Okay, everybody ready? Here we go. We confront the unruly, encourage the timid, and help the weak. Can't you see that in parenting? Oh, it'd be so obvious when you're looking at your daughter and sometimes, or your son, and you, sometimes you need, hey, you know, no more hugs. Or maybe it is a time for a hug. No more confronting, right? No more exhorting. It's not time for that yet. Okay, so now he's going to break away from these three types and then just kind of goes back to a wider parameter of how we treat everybody on the team. And that's the end of verse 14 where he says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. In a church, there is, especially a church like Grace, in a church, there's all kinds of people here from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of, uh, like, I don't know, life stories and parts of their journey, like where they're beginning, middle, or end. If, you're, if you've ever been involved in a, a ministry that's outside the church, a Christian ministry, they, they get the luxury. It's a, it's a, I've been blessed by them in many ways. And they get to isolate on one type of, of, of a Christian. So there's athletes that are Christian organizations. There are business leader Christian organizations. They focus on those people. Or college student Christian organizations. Or a group inside of a college Christian organization. And, and they just get to focus on that, and it's, and it's homogeneous, and you, you can kind of laser shoot this thing. And one of the problems with those ministries, uh, kind of the downside of them, is that once you no longer qualify, you're no longer part of the ministry team. So you blow uh, a hip or something, you're no longer an athlete, then you're not part of the athlete's Christian group. And if you <laughs> are not a business leader, you're just a guy or a gal in business, maybe, or you know, you're not in business anymore. You're not part of that group anymore. If you graduate from college, you're done. Thank you. We love you, but we got to move on. There's more freshmen coming. Church is not like that. Church, we get everybody. We get everybody, and I mean, everybody's welcome in a lot of ways. And so we have people here that are business leaders and business owners. We also have the people coming to our church that are the shop floor guys that are sweeping the shop floor of the business owner. So it's, it's everybody in that context. 
And also at Grace, we have people that don't know how to find Bible verses. They're not really sure if they're even, you know, a Christian. They're considering following Jesus Christ and surrendering their lives completely to him. And there's other people that have been along their way a long time. And there are groups that meet on this campus and they study the Bible in the original languages of Greek and Hebrew. And here's my point is, is because of the diversity and because of where everybody else is, you need to be patient, right? We need to be patient with all people. Because you were there once, and for no other reason, it's the right thing to do, but you were there once too, and people were patient with you. It's, it's, um, and patience is an interesting word, and it means long-suffering, long-fuse. You don't have to get mad right away. You don't, expect, you don't have to expect too much too soon from some people. It's, it just takes a while. You have to wait on the Lord to do some things sometimes. I remember one of my first... Uh, ministry experiences. It was a long time ago, but I was a student pastor, and I was talking to the worship leader, and he said, hey, great news. We're going to get some guitars for the band. I have one more drug deal to close, and will they have enough money to buy guitars for everyone? What do you think? You know, I don't know where to start. He said, well, I was just hoping we could pray that this thing goes down well, you know, and so we could have guitar money for the worship team. Well, there you go. There. Okay. Wow, you know, be patient. Give not no drug deals, okay? No drug deals for worship instruments. I set a new policy in the youth ministry that day. Okay, and we've held to it ever since. So, but sometimes being patient is, you know, people. Many people won't change unless they have to, and you can't make them have to change, right? But God can sure encourage them to have to change. And he does that by allowing people to live with their consequences. You know, whatever you plant, you harvest. And when people have a harvest season in their life, they become very teachable and, and they want to be instructed. They want to be cared for and loved in a different way. So be patient for all of them. They just need, you just need to kind of stand back and let God do something. Don't, don't intervene on God's consequences for their lives. You'll short circuit the whole thing. They have to go back to zero. Be patient with all things. I have a 10-year rule that I learned from someone that I like a lot, and the 10-year rule is this, is that in 10 years from now, it takes me 10 years for the fog to clear on relational issues sometimes, and I, I, when I get to 10 years out and I'm looking back with some objectivity, I want to I say this, that I was over-patient and over-generous because I don't want to look back and think, oh, I was short-fused, I lost my temper, I withheld finances because I wanted to dig them or something, Right? I want to kind of, if I have a regret, I, don't, I rarely, if ever, regret being too patient or too generous. And so I, if, you have to, if you're ever wondering if you've gone too far, just think, in 10 years, when all the emotions are gone, how are you going to feel? So be patient. Be generous to all people, he says. Those are good clues. Look, the last one, verse, it leaves an entire verse for this last exclamation. Verse 15, refuse to retaliate, just do good. Look at verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and, and everyone else as well. So look, it's clear, nobody repays back wrong for wrong. There's no tit for tat, there's no gossip, and then you re respond and gossip a coarse word with a coarse word. It's just, it's a, he says, don't do that, but instead bless them as much as you can, right? Be nice to them. Always try to be kind with each other and to everyone else. Okay, occasionally being kind means to put a distance between you and them, right, especially in an abusive situation. But 
you, you, have to, you have to respond with kindness, and that's going to take a supernatural experience on your part. Okay, how, the question is in this today, besides the wisdom that's required to, to, dealt, to know how to prescribe right for these three types of people, one of the big things is this last verse 15 is an ouch, isn't it? You know, don't respond bad for bad, but be kind. God gives us three things to live our lives for him. There are three ways that we conform to his image, right? One is the word of God, so you have to read it. His word of God, you have to read it. Look at all the things that we learned today. Look how practical everything was. It's full of that. We learn about the nature of God and how he treats us and how he, right, he confronts us and how he encourages us and, and how he helps us. You can just read that into these passages. You can see that in the life of Jesus or how God treats Israel. So we have this revelation, but you have to know it. The second thing that he supernaturally provides for us is his spirit. His spirit gives us the ability to do things that we don't want to do. Not only the knowledge to do it, but the ability to do it. If you look at Jesus Christ's life, okay, just look at how that, what we're talking about applies to him on long-suffering and patience and not responding bad for bad. When he was being nailed to the cross, we know this because it's in the literature, and so we're informed about it, that he didn't say, okay, fine, you wait, you watch. He said, no, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. But how did he do that? How was he able to say those words? Well, that event, that torture and death event began, if the Bible says, because we know it, read it, the Bible says that the Spirit came and encouraged him and strengthened him. And if the Son of God needed to be strengthened by the Spirit so that he could do the supernatural and respond towards evil with good, then how about you and me? So we have the Word of God, we need to know it. We have the Spirit of God, we have to yield to it, respond to it. He requires us to be courageous and do those things. And last, we have to have connection. I mean, isn't that the theme of the last two weeks, these four verses? You, we have to do this together. You can't do this by yourself. And so you have to get connected in real relationships so that you can have these discipleship moments, these confrontational moments, these encouraging moments, these helpful moments. And, and, I, and I want you to consider this. You know, the kind of the theme of the series is never give up. Could you please consider this? Don't give up trying to get connected here. And I, I just appeal to you in a way that, with the acknowledgement that it is hard to get connected in a big church. And, and I want you to just try one more time, you know, with maybe a newcomer lunch or a, a Bible study, a Sunday school class. But honestly, some of the stuff we do here, just the, the, the common thing, the meet and greet we do four out of five weeks, is just is, is a hope because we have stories, but we, we base it on, on trusting God that you might touch someone and shake a hand and stare into their eyes and see something that's happening in their soul and saying, is there something more that I could do? Could I, could I take you to lunch? Could I pray a prayer for you? Are you okay? I know we, we're, not, we're strangers, but we don't have to be that way. Even the meet and greet is all part of a plan <laughs> to, to help, uh, help us all get connected with one another. The church is a connected organism that glorifies God and does so in, in, in the more it's connected. So would you please consider, you know, this, this, by the way, in our elder retreat, this is the goal for this year for us. It's trying to help us, try to figure out how to help us go from this auditorium to deep personal friendships 
that are in the fullness of everything that God would have for us. I think that's, that's, my, if I'm gonna, that's my urge to you. Members of Grace, I urge you would, you, would you try again to find a great friendship one step at a time, maybe a simple handshake, would you try one more time to get connected in the body of Jesus Christ? Let's see what God does with that. I was so lonely my last year of college. I knew I was going off to seminary 1,400 miles away. I wouldn't know a single soul there. And I heard a sermon on the relationship between Jonathan and David, David the giant killer. And the only way he got through most of the hardships of life is because of his best friend, Jonathan. And I prayed a prayer that day at night. I prayed it for months, for almost 14 months. I said, God, I got to have a David in my life. I know me, and I don't do well by myself. And I moved out to school, and, and nobody knew. It was kind of a very strange set of circumstances, but no one knew I was going to school for a whole semester. So I was completely ignored, which didn't help. And then the last week of school, these three guys come over to me and said, Hey, we didn't realize you were going to school here. Do you want to live with us next year? And I lived with these guys for a couple of years, and it was, it was, it was, they were encouraging. They helped me because at that point, I probably wasn't coming back. I was laying in the dirt. I was wallowing in the mud, and they picked me up, and they ran alongside me, and they've been the greatest blessing outside of my wife, the greatest blessing in my, in my life. I prayed the prayer, and I'm going to pray that today for us. I prayed the prayer because I knew this that you can hold God to his promises, that I knew that if I prayed according to his will, he would answer that. And God wants you to have an honest, intimate relationship with another person for the sake of, of becoming Christ-like. So you can pray that all the time with confidence that he has someone for you. I had to wait. I, I prayed 14 months. I had to wait 18 months to move in with these guys. Doesn't happen right away. I, maybe I wasn't ready yet, right? Whatever. He answered the prayer. Changed my life. Let's pray that for us, okay? Let's pray that for yourself. You pray for the person next to you. Maybe that person that you shook their hands today. Lord Jesus, we are, we are such a disconnected culture. It is not getting any better. It is rapidly growing worse. We don't know how to have friends. We don't know how to have even family relationships that are uh, mildly deep. And so, God, I'd ask that this passage would just jump off a page into our soul and make us desire for so much more in life so that we might navigate life on the other side of suffering and see the brilliance because someone picked us up when we were down. Or maybe we picked someone else up when they were down. Lord, would you bring us a friend, a friend of the same gender, someone that can love us through life, someone that we can, we can carry and be carried by. God, give us a friend. Make us ready for that friendship. Help us learn to be strong and courageous and vulnerable and transparent and humble. Bring us that person, Lord. Make us that person. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. We're holding you this, Lord. You said if you pray, if we pray according to your will, we know this is your will. We're holding you to this. We pray this with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.